You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from Hawkins Labs in the Upside Down. All right, let's try this again. Round two. Y'all missed some lovely (laughs) rambling from me. (laughs) Vocal fam, we were having a lovely conversation about audio Mm -hmm. tech problem things. I don't know if it's a problem if you have no idea what you're doing. Again, if you want to know how to run a podcast. I'm just pushing buttons. Like, I would just push a button, (laughs) I would record, and then I'd listen, I'd go, oh, that's nice. And so then I'd push another button and I'd record again, I'd be like, Nah, it was better the first way. So, yeah. You know, you know, somewhere I poured myself some water. Yeah. Because vocal fam, if you are wondering why we don't record on Thursday nights, my voice is indicative of why we don't record on Thursday nights. I feel that. Because I don't know, I don't know about how you run your week. Yeah. Everybody, but my week basically goes from 5 a.m. Sunday morning. 8 30 p.m thursday night that's kind of mine like i laughed as i was getting ready for this because jamie can attest to this i have spent a lot of the past like hour and a half just kind of asleep because my weekend essentially starts thursday night because friday i podcast and then i just take care of things around the house but it's not the same as like going to work so uh yes this is also (laughs) an interesting time for me (laughs) Late right. night, Sarah, and at 8 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're going to see how loop, loopy Sarah gets tonight, uh, it, guys. It could be interesting. And, uh, I've, I've slept a lot since I got home. It's uh, it, it could be an adventure. Um, speaking of adventures, can, can, th- this is not our topic for today, but, but can I just share an interesting observation? I'm ready for it. Remember you remember the episode? You probably never even listened to it. It's possible, but but I did. Do you live remember? It. No, you weren't oh, there. Oh, was I not? I, I might have. It listened was the to episode. It. You were out for some reason, and I don't remember why. You might have been ill. That, that could be it. But it was an episode that I did with Leah and Ashlyn called "What Is Voice Pedagogy." I do remember that and you know i honestly don't remember if i listened to it because i actually do try to listen to the episodes that i don't like experience yes that i do not live (laughs) i do try to listen to those but i'm not sure if i listened to it or if i've just heard them talk about it so much that i feel like i listened to it yeah well they didn't have a lot of fun that day but funny enough it's one of our most downloaded episodes um but funny thing today vocal fam if you ever find yourself teaching a voice pedagogy course i want you to know something because we didn't talk about this last week my basic philosophy is that in a voice pedagogy course you are helping your students become voice teachers that seems right you are not helping your students sing better. 
And I, I say this to say, I think that the if we're talking about on a collegiate faculty, the voice ped teacher's position is sort of unique in that they are probably the one person, other than maybe on a jury sheet, um, that actually gets to influence potentially influence the technique of other singers that are not in their studio. Mm-hmm. And if you're actually teaching a course where you're teaching people to sing, I would argue that is not voice pedagogy. Yeah. That is a voice techniques course. Yeah. Ooh, voice class. Or a voice class. Yeah, like a group voice which, class. Which is a thing. Oh, yeah. That, I mean... But that's not a voice pedagogy class. No. And I just want to, for the record, state that Perna Philosophy 629 (laughs) says that your job as the voice pedagogy teacher is actually not to try to teach the generation of students you are teaching to teach to sing... Your job is to help the generation of students that you're trying to teach to sing to teach the next generation to sing. Yeah, that's... That made zero sense... No, it... ...without a diagram. Well, okay, draw it up, put it on Facebook. But and... on the giant, clear, black marker, dry erase board that I have... Like in your head? ...desperately... Yes, that's in my head currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that too pretentious? That image is that too pretentious, or is it just is right? Is it just is it just tenery enough? Or is it just what everyone expected expect was any, already going on? I was going to say, did we expect anything less? No, not really. <laughs> right? Okay. So, uh, but that's just a, a take. You're not again. I've described it this way before. I view myself as a pedagogy teacher, as sort of a pedagogic grandparent not a parent. If a voice teacher is sort of in a more parental role, I view my job in a way as pedagogy teacher of I'm teaching a generation to help them teach people to sing better. Well, and it's funny you say all this because I distinctly remember that when I like went into voice pedagogy junior year, Sarah, you know, I'm a, oh, I was a performance major, and I had oh, I had no oh, previously conceived notions about what voice pedagogy was going to be. I really had no idea what I was getting into. Um, you definitely didn't think we would be here. No, I had no idea. But my thing was, I was like, I'm going to be a singer. So, yeah, I'm going in here, and I'm going to learn how the voice works so that I can sing better, obviously. And so... For the first, I don't even know at what point it switched. I know it wasn't even the first semester, even though I really enjoyed it. Like, first semester, Sarah was still like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be a singer. Okay, okay, this is information, um, and I'm going to use it to make me sing better. Me, specifically me. And, like, at the end of the semester, you sent out an email, and I think every student got this because Grace came and talked to me about it, too, and... It said something along the lines of like, it had to do with our exams. And you were like, you, you'll make a great voice teacher someday. And I remember being like, I'm going to be a singer. Oh, how <laughs> things change. I have no memory of that. I do. I have a very distinct memory because I look like, I remember even by like the end of the second semester being like, 
oh, Sarah. Like, it's just funny. Like, <laughs> so many changes happened that year mentally as far as my feelings and approach to voice pedagogy went. Because it went from, like, I want to be a singer and all of this is going to help me be a better singer. And that is the point of this, too. Oh, okay, I can help other people be a better singer, too. Ooh, voodoo magic. I like it. <laughs> and I think that's kind of where I've been stuck since then is that it's it's mildly magical to me. I think that's how I explained it to a student when they were like, why do you, like, what made you like voice science? Like, why do you still do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I was like, it just, it's got a mildly magical quality to it. I know it's science. It's not magic, but it feels like, hello, magic. Okay, between this introduction and our main topic, here's Olivia to say hi. Hi, vocal fry. <laughs> hi, Olivia. She can't hear me. <laughs> I, I think we've had, it's been three weeks since I think Olivia said hi. So uh, It's about time. It's about time. So it's, it was about time. Uh, there's uh, Olivia's uh, weekly Just hello. Hi. Three weeks. Maybe it's a monthly hello. A monthly hello. hello. Yeah, that, that, we'll that see could her be. come October, something like that. All right, Vocal Fam, let's dive in. Let's do it. I don't think we've ever, in the history of Vocal Fry, spent an episode actually on this topic. No, I, I doubt we have, just given... G- given that we run a voice podcast, that might be surprising. Honestly, I mean, I think we've mentioned it in passing. We've sort of... Oh, it's come up. I was going to say, we've referenced it, but we've never dedicated an episode some time to discuss this and our feelings okay. about it and such and i don't even know exactly where we're gonna go with this today I don't <laughs> and don't if you came for the hard-hitting facts based on our respiratory analysis of the respiratory system you came to the wrong podcast 100%. I was like, I really have no idea where he's going with this. I'm just going to hold my water and drink it. (laughs) If you'd like to hear Uh, some breathing mumbo jumbo right now. Probably from a bunch of from a bunch of voice teachers who might happen to cite a bunch of stuff or say some things. You found your place. But if you've always been waiting for vocal fry to finally do the breathing episode here we are here we are happened it's happening so i have some pictures that i'll i'll put up uh, on uh i think i'm actually going to put them on my stuff but today in class today we were sort of wrapping up our uh what do you call it respiration unit always fun always fun and we did some uh, vital capacity measurements with the PAS. Honestly, that is fun to do, I will say. And, of course, with a class full of undergraduate Men. tenors, baritones, or basses, what did them measuring their vital capacity become? Whose is the biggest? The Aerodynamic Olympics. <laughs> yes, it literally became a matter of whose peak was the highest on the screen. <laughs> whose vital capacity was the most leaders, and not only the oh most gosh. leaders, but then the biggest peak leaders per second. That seems right. Too much testosterone. Oh my goodness, did we need some estrogen in the room? 
Yeah. Holy cow. Um, Honestly, but you would need it, a lot. Like one girl in a room of like five guys, like that wouldn't be enough. Right. Not, not nearly enough. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it was an interesting, it was an interesting day. You know, sort of about what we would expect. It's a shame. Uh, I would love to have seen like Blake Glasses. He's not in the I class. know. That's what I'm saying. He was in it last year. I would love to like, because he's just so tall. He's yes, a well, giant. But he doesn't necessarily have the largest thorax. He has exceptionally long legs. So I, mean, mm, I guess that's true. I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. But anyway, um, it was very interesting. Our largest uh, vital capacity measured was uh, quite high, actually. It was uh, over seven liters wow. of air. Um, most everybody uh, was in the mid-five range, which is not surprising for early something 20-year-old males. Um, we had one that was a little bit below that. So no- nothing. Nothing groundbreaking. Nothing was... Nothing was ground. Vocal fry was not finding anything in class today. I don't think we expected anything to be groundbreaking. Uh, but you know, as you might imagine, going through the respiration unit every year is always sort of a interesting time. Yes, I think it's what people tend to have the most ideas about coming into the class, probably. <laughs> Right, Definitely. and I, and I said that in, in at some point in these lectures, I said, it's very interesting to me. Over the y- generations, and I think it has something to do with the visual aspect of respiration that we can see physically, externally, a lot of the movements yes. of the ri- of the rib cage, of the diaphragm action on the rib cage and on the viscera. Um, your guts, focal fam, um, and, uh, you know, therefore actions of visceral displacement. We can essentially see ab engagement. We can see rib collapsing. We can see rib expansion. You know, we can see the different movements of the rib cage. We can physically see a lot of the aspects of respiration. Mm-hmm. Could we agree to that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. You can see it. It's easy. And that also makes it easy or seemingly easy when you're working with a student especially younger students which is which is where i think a lot of this gets started is you have younger kids in a choir or a lesson it it makes you feel like oh this is something easy and hands-on i can do with said student or students sure okay now let's talk about a couple of things that you just said because I know you didn't mean what you just said, but you just said a thing that you actually didn't mean. And I know you didn't mean it because you studied, you studied with me for years. And so I know you didn't mean it, but you said it. I don't know what I said. That, that says hands a lot. On. <laughs> you said hands on. I mean them. I'm not touching my students. Okay. And I knew that you meant that. That's true. I'm sorry. I, should, I, I just assume people. This is a radio show. That's true. They can't see me. They can't see my facial expressions or anything like that. I say hands-on. I guess I just mean it's a lot more physical. And you can have the student do a lot more kind of physical stuff with it. Be it kind of the ever-present, you know, you put your hands on your stomach, have your fingers touch, and then you breathe in, and they should separate. Mm. Mm. Did you ever have to do that? Mm. No? That just No. Oh, that's funny. Okay. I guess So I did a lot of choirs growing up, and that was just like 
a very common exercise we did. That's so weird. I did, and it was multiple ones. That's funny. I do want to. I do want to get to sort of the early breathing training, but since you, uh, I, I want to come back to that in just a second. Um, but something else you said uh, just now. I thought I would deal with that first. But now I don't remember what it was. Who knows? Probably something more about touching. Good grief. <laughs> I shouldn't be allowed to talk after 7 o'clock, honestly. Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was in that regard. Okay. If you read a lot of the you know, pedagogic books, there are still plenty of books that do recommend that kind of instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot, but there are books that you can read that still recommend that. I'm not even saying that there couldn't even be potential benefits of a situation where that happened that was perfectly kind and instructive and ethical, et cetera, et cetera, um, that could lead to a result possibly faster. Uh, but we don't recommend that. That That is our general stance as a podcast. Yes. Um, on another thing, one of the ways that you can obviously help a student with their respiration and their breathing function, technique, I guess, techniques, the manner in which they're trying to use their breath to aid um, the airflow toward the larynx Mm -hmm. is to make them physically aware because we're just talking about the physical awareness of things like we can see it, right? And I want to encourage the vocal fam to consider a lot of other strategies that they might use. And here's why I think we have become an increasingly culture obsessed about appearance. Hashtag Instagram, hashtag Snapchat, hashtag everything. And uh, many of our students have struggled with body image or who knows what throughout their life. And as someone who has also struggled with that, sometimes if you address the physical right away, you're going to lose the student for the lesson. Mm -hmm. Even if they're strong enough in the moment to not look like you've lost them, you very well may have lost them. Yeah. And even if possibly there do need to eventually be physical instructions given, because they're very well made, at some point you may not be able to use another uh, back, you know, sort of back door way to get them to do what you want them to do. Uh, but, you know, we were talking today, for example, mm-hmm. we were talking about rib, we were talking about rib cage expansion. Yes. Let's say you have a singer that that you feel like you need to address inhalation and you need to address the expansion of the ribcage. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that you've determined that you feel like that's a problem. Because it could be. One way to go about that without having them like put their hands on their ribcage, which is a way you could deal with it. It's certainly a recommended tool that voice teachers have used. Mm-hmm. But one way that you could deal with it that is even physical that might not be drawing attention to the rib cage would simply to be to put their hands on top of their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's which encourages 
sternal height and awareness and a basically poised, open, tall posture. It's the same as I think we talked, we briefly touched on last week, having people backstroke. It kind of does a similar thing. A physical movement like that, but you wouldn't even have to know we were talking about ribcage Exactly, but again, it forces them to kind of have that poised, open position. I think I've made many students do that, actually. (laughs) Sure, absolutely wonderful. I have also, uh, I have a fairly large pole in my office. It's a Japanese Joe, I believe is the appropriate pronunciation of the weapon. It is one of the weapons that one of the Ninja Turtles carries. It's about a four foot pole. It's a stick, in case y'all are curious. It's wooden. It's like a really fancy stick. And I will have students put it behind their back with their arms around it. Um, sort of like, almost like a baseball player might Are you stand talking with like a baseball the, bat. Oh, that's yes. funny. Um, you know ballroom dancers have to do that? Do they really? Mm-hmm. I used to watch Dancing with Stars all the time. Loved it. And that was very common to like use with celebrities because there are so many of the more formal ballroom dances where like you have to stay in the posture exactly like, the whole time. You cannot break the stance. And um, they would put that and teach them to dance using it because it forces them to keep up and out. Yeah, I know. My mic does not want to stay up. Turn it back up. It keeps falling. That's better. Okay, good. (laughs) I was struggling for a minute. (laughs) Does it have something to tighten? Would you look at that? It does. Who knew? How did it get untightened? These are all, uh, all great questions that somebody who knows a lot about microphones probably knows. <laughs> I know that this anyway, is um, So one of the things that I would recommend if you are working on your, your, your physicality of breathing is consider possibly engaging things that if you're looking at the physical things, maybe go through a different way than just going directly and saying, you know, your sternum's collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would make, I think a lot of people shut down. Well, yes, yes. It would just make a lot of people shut down. Right. Okay. All right. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, you know, Perna, you're talking about breath sort of like it's this weird thing to, to be talking about. Why are you, you know, we're voice teachers. We all talk about breathing. We do. Oh, yeah. I would like to say that I think that breathing, though, holds a special place amongst the infinity stones. Very much like the soul stone. Yes. In the sense that so much has been made out of breathing... But it's not the space stone. And it's a very touchy subject. It's also not the time stone. This is also true. It's also not the power yeah, stone. It, it, it just it doesn't do everything. Everything doesn't stem from it. But we've made a huge place out of it. Well, and it's, it's tricky. I, I have found myself several times recently in a situation where I you know I'm the new voice teacher 
and somebody came up and asked me a question about their voice being tired, things they could do to minimize that. And I started going into it from a kind of a resonance approach just because I'd heard the girls speak. And then a few other voice teachers came by and started going on and on about how it was actually all her breathing. And then I'm in this weird position where like four other voice teachers, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a weird thing. It's a touchy subject because so many people, like, if you say, like, well, you know, it could be breathing, but also it could be this, all of a sudden you're just invalidated. Sure. So let's, let's, let's talk about some realities uh, about the way the system works. Okay? Okay. That's a solid start. Uh, Hickson wrote some land-breaking research on respiration and one of the things that he demonstrated because of course you know singing teachers have been talking for generations about the idea of abdominal compression right okay whether you're whether you're a i'm gonna keep my abs expanding person whether you're gonna keep my abs contracting person Mm -hmm. whether you're i mean you know could be a bunch of things Um, Hickson demonstrated that the abs can't put nearly as much exhalatory force as the rib cage itself. Of course, one of the functions of the abdominal muscles in respiration is to depress your rib cage. Mm-hmm. But, but actually the rib cage itself largely thanks to the internal intercostals and the recoil forces of elastic recoil on the diaphragm, they put three times as much, as I remember the research, three times as much exhalatory force on the vocal folds as do the abdominal muscles. And uh, that alone sort of might you know, might cause us to reconsider some commonly held tenets about quote unquote breath support. And listen, one of the things vocal fry does not get caught up on are words, mm-hmm. right? If you want to call it breath support, we're fine. Well, with like, that. If it works, if you get results, if yay, you want to call up. it, bre- if you want to call it breath energy, we're fine with that. If you want to call it breath management, I think that's probably a different thing, but we'll go with it. What we mean when we use those terms, sort of breath energy or breath support, is we are talking about a musculature coordination of antagonistic action that is a coordinated action, probably mostly happening between the external intercostals, which help the rib cage expand on inhalation, mm-hmm. and probably some combination of the oblique muscles and maybe another set of abs and they are working together to help a coordinated action of managed exhalation um however however a couple of other things about the system while we're talking about the system and I want to get to different styles and different body types here in a second. So don't let me forget, okay? Okay. Styles and body types. Styles and body types. I'm there with you. 
But your respiratory system is not the predominant way in which you manage air through a phrase. What is? Oh, are you asking me? Yes. That's you know bad. the answer. Um, yeah, but what if I'm wrong? Think how embarrassing that would be. Okay, no, all right. No, it's okay. I'm going to say it, but if I'm wrong, I just, I don't know. What's the main valve of the human voice? Oh, it's your vocal folds. Yes, of course it is. I knew it, it was is. that, but like, all of a sudden, don't, doesn't that ever happen to you where someone asks you a really basic question and you know you know the answer, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, what if it's not as basic as I think it is? What if I say this really basic answer and then I'm just wrong and everyone's like, well, isn't she stupid? How did she graduate <laughs> with the master's? Who let her here? And this is, yeah. Anyway, luckily, that was the answer. <laughs> thank goodness. Phew. <laughs> so let us not forget, Vocal Fam, that if you want to sing a longer phrase, you need to phonate efficiently. And if you are not phonating efficiently, you will not sing longer phrases. I, yes. And let's just say... You already have breathy phonation. Yep. And you just put more exhalatory force against the vocal folds. And all you're doing is blowing more air through a flabby glottis. Delightful image. Thank you for that. Is that helpful? No. No. And it's funny. So many people, like, I actually, it's funny we're talking about this. I had several conversations with students this week that, you know, just forcing more air out, like, is not going to help. Going, no. I, I did have to actually straight up tell a student, when you sit there and go, <gasps> and I don't know, how, like, this is a this is a podcast, so I get that y'all can't Sarah see. Sarah took a clavicular just, breath, everyone. Sarah like, took a, a clavicular one. breath. It was a major one. No, it was, it was a major one. It was very, ad, it was very uh, adventurous. But it also was not dramatized from the student that I corrected, which, like, she doesn't know any better. She's just thinking, I need a big breath. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, hey. well, it's certainly something that beginning singers do. Yeah, I was like, hey, no need for that, friend. No need. Don't worry. But let's just let's just stop that. And I okay. tried to, anyway, sorry, I'm off track again. No, you're good. You're good. It's so it's night. It's my if, weekend. If if you, well, let's go the opposite. Let's say that's a breathy. That's a, that's a breath breathy phonation. Yeah. Um, let's say it was pressed phonation and all you're doing is blowing more air against already pressed phonation. Yep. Is that going to be helpful? No, because, well, it's funny because it can almost make it sound kind of breathy all of a sudden, which if you're somebody that's had pressed phonation and is kind of okay with it, all of a sudden when it gets breathy, you think, oh gosh, I'm obviously not supporting enough. I'm going to add even more. And just, oof. oof. Well, uh, yeah, sure. So let's say that Though that, let's say that you have someone who is basically phonating, though. Okay. okay? And the, and you, it seems as if you're getting towards flow phonation. Okay. How how would we do that? Would we fix their breathing to get them to flow phonation? Probably not. No. You probably need to deal with the source itself. So you say to yourself, self. How do I fix the source? Do you know how many straws I've made students use? Insert semi-occluded vocal tract postures. For real. 
how else could you work with breathy, incomplete glottal closure? Um, well, I guess you could have them. You could have them vocal fry. Some of them I make ah, them belt. the name of the name of the podcast. Yeah. You could also te- okay. Now your belting strategy is an interesting one. The idea of making sure there's adequate TA activity, yeah. thyroid activity in the sound. You know, or, or just singing in chest voice. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, soprano, mezzos, yes. whatever, um, or, or tenors. I mean, because um, I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of our contemporary tenor, baritone, bass, worship leader people, they're straight up singing breathy because it's what the style is. It is, yeah. Which, of um, course, I say the belt thing, but uh, it doesn't necessarily help with head breathy head voice then. Sure. Especially, okay. this is slightly separate i have realized this week that like it's very hard for me personally just because i guess i didn't think about it ahead of time to try to communicate to a student the concept of mix like if they don't really have the coordination of the head or the chest to try to get them to mix was way harder than i anticipated yeah that's just life lessons with sarah as 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 you know i'm a big fan of register breaking for that and doing, you know, both things in head and then the same pitches in chest or, you know, glides over that range. I mean, I'm just, I'm a big fan of that kind of methodology to get there. Yeah. But, but that's not what this episode's about. This episode's not about registration. I follow around. But, but here's the thing. If you can get the glottis actually behaving. It fixes a lot. And get some, and get some flow phonation set up. Because one of the other ways, just let's think of the system even further as one more step down the road. Okay. So, respiration and we're putting airflow against the vocal folds the vocal folds are essentially opening and closing and in some manner of that they are creating noise um, and and there are different proposed theories of exactly what's happening there but basically you're making noise and let's just say you're, you're phonating okay one of the other ways to fix phonation is of course to go one step further down the 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 track and actually fix the artic the resonance shape with the articulatory system yeah and and give yourself some good feedback acoustically with the vo- shape of the vocal tract which can also encourage good flow phonation true true so in other words your resonator itself can fix your phonator yes that makes sense yes okay Granted, now then here's you the get trick. into weird things of again like if you're telling or at least personally, because I've tried a few of these this weekend. Anyway, you you start telling a student like, oh, well, why don't you try doing this fill in the blank mouth shape, tongue movement? And they just get so fixated. Again, but that's that. OK, well, we can we we can do an episode about that next week. <laughs> Um, we're just ta- because tackling it's an- the big well issues. that's another that's another area where i no longer accentuate physical ideas at all yeah because i try to stay be- but so what i've been doing is i've been i've been go i've gone to basically completely emotional responses this year I, that, like that's smart. ken's ideas of affect ken bozeman's ideas of affect and these just these I have I have ones that that I that I they're not all Ken's I have ones that I'm specifically that I've developed that I specifically use for each vowel that encourage specific kind of postures if I want if I want to basically um, 
low first vocal tract resonance setting up a basically classical sound mm -hmm. if i want something that's sort of setting up a higher first vocal tract resonance getting me to towards something else maybe a contemporary sound yeah um i i have different emotive responses that i'm using um, and that's a different episode that's true but Let's just say that we get the resonator working in decent shapes okay. and we get the phonator working with flow phonation. You may never even have to talk about breath. Which is nice. Because when you can phonate, you feel like you can sing phrases forever. Yes. Yes, and then you don't... Yeah, you just don't feel the need to try to overfill or... Honestly, you just don't think about it. That's or, the thing. Like, if it's not below. a problem, you just stop thinking about it. Exactly. Which is nice. Now, every voice teacher who's listening to us, who's been a fan of the podcast, if we don't get some pushback on this... I know. I think that's part of my thing. Like, is, it even, is it even the internet? It's, it's so hard personally for me to talk about controversial things and make slightly controversial statements just because... I don't I don't like That's because it's we've been doing this podcast for two years and this is the first breathing episode. Yes. I don't like confrontation. I don't like making you know, disagreeing with people. Right. So anyway, mm -hmm. well it's mostly me saying the stuff. That's so true. you're sort of free. I and know. Clear. I am yeah. living my life as I as I do. <laughs> the closest we've gotten to this episode prior to this was Michael going the breathing people. That's true. Like, I mean, I think we've referenced it enough that most people know that, like, we don't have an issue with breathing. Obviously, breathing important. Keeps you alive. No. Folks, you need to inhale. You gotta do you it. You need to take a basically efficient inhalation. But uh, we don't think I'm it's... I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of noiseless inhalation. I'm still a big fan of noiseless inhalation. Same. With a base with a basically open throat. Yeah. Uh, of course, Ken flipped that on its head um, in in a was that in voice prints or journal of singing where he'd ma remapped the open throat? I forget where he published that. Maybe it's just in his book, but this idea of, uh, of an Eve, E vowel shape, basically giving you an open throat rather than an ah, his idea, not mine. Um, but, but I, I'm all for an inhalation like that. That's efficient, this kind of thing. And, and I'm all for, listen. Okay. So this, this is a perfect setup. I think that there are times when you do need more breath energy. Yep. In a voice. Yes, yes, 100%. Okay, so let me go on the record as saying there are times when, boy, if you have really uncoordinated breath, that you need to set it up, okay? And you need to get it working for you. One of the best ways that I do that is uh, with panting. I'm a big fan of panting. Yeah. A lot of people aren't. I know people who are not. It's, a, it's you know, again, everybody has their thing. Because here's my thing: breathing exercises to me, and this is why I like panting. Let me explain. Mm -hmm. I like panting because, and look, it's hard to cite panting to someone because a lot of people put it in their books, and a lot of people have talked about it over the years. So it's it's difficult for me to like original source who started talking to singers about pain i think it's close to one of those things that it's sort of just a general knowledge kind of thing like if it's written uh, by that uh, many people 
right. It's like who was the first human that ever did a lip buzz? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Some child making um, fun of a sibling, I'm sure. But but so okay, so let's you know the thing I like about any breathing breathing exercise that I use because I I do use them when I when when necessary and appropriate is I want exercises that are coordination exercises mm -hmm. that are helping the respiratory system do what it needs to do um more efficiently but that don't encourage I don't do a lot of stuff and I do not personally I'm not it, listen if you do this vocal fam hey you and, and you have success with your students you keep doing you I, I want I want to be very clear about that but I don't have one way that I teach breathing and here's why this this, this is the other thing I wanted to go to I think that different styles of singing require different essentially techniques of breathing yeah. and I think that different body types typically typically tend to behave better with different types of breathing. That makes sense. And when I say different body types, I mean endomorphs, mesomorphs, ectomorphs. Um you and you know and is that like big, big pear, words. apple you know those things well so like your your endomorphs are your are your sort of uh round in the middle shape okay of human and your mesomorphs are sort of the more medium build and your your ectomorphs are your more rail thin people oh. and i'm sure i'm probably screwed that up but i'm pretty sure that's right and and if if i'm wrong please give me grace vocal fam but somebody will tell me in the comments what an idiot i am I can do that, even if you're right. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are some books that are now even talking about these differences. There are some articles now, people talking about these differences of, and, and, and I mean, I know some, some other pedagogues who have been talking for years now about differences between men and women in, in, in respiration. Yeah. Because we do have slightly different abdominal, lower abdominal uh, anatomy. Mm hmm and 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 a lot of times different lower abdominal awareness yes and so it makes sense that we might sense uh, what's going on differently um so one of your jobs vocal fam really in the studio is really to find what works best for each of your students right that's a fairly safe thing to to, to say but a lot of the time if you have like extremely fit people and you're trying to get them to expand their viscera, <laughs> like with the exercise you were talking about from choir. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it doesn't work. The likelihood that all they're probably doing is pushing their abdominal wall out. And vocal fam, do this. Try this for a second. Stand up. I'll give you a second to stand up. You're probably in the car, so you could do this sitting down too. To take a breath, purposefully just go ahead and push your abdominal wall out while you inhale. Now, let it go. Okay. Now, this time, while you do that action, I want you to pay attention to your lower side ribs. Okay? So now, push your abdominal wall out again to breathe in. What happened to your lower ribs? Eventually, they might have gone out a little bit, but they were pretty locked, weren't they? Sure. 
<laughs> I think that implies more awareness of my lower ribs than I, I have. Because I'm just well, sitting here trying to do it. And I'm like... Well, see, here's what usually happens. The encouragement of sort of that belly button push out kind of thing in order to get people away from clavicular breathing typically locks the diaphragm. Because those lower ribs are what need to open while the diaphragm contracts. Yeah, I don't know. And I'll, well, I just want to say I've anyway, been sitting here it, trying it for several minutes, but I. But am a lot not of times, very self. With your person. real, with your really fit people, they've got so much musculature that if you're just encouraging an overexpansion down there, they've got too much muscle to do anything with. Th- th- that all you're going to do is overpressurize the system. Man, I just feel so bad for them. Those poor muscled people. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I know Matt Edwards has been talking about this some. He presented it on it a little bit down at USM when we were at the symposium last spring. And I think he just talked about it in a blog post. Yeah. Um, so you can look on Matt's blog, Matt Edwards' blog, Mix It Up Monday. That's what it's called, right? Mix It Up Monday. Um, and I even think he might have done a session of talking about breathing on um, that voicelessons.com feed that I he's been doing all those live sessions Yeah, I on. think I saw that. Those have been popping up on my feed. Um, so, I mean, I would definitely encourage that there are times, like if you're going to sing Wagner or Puccini, yeah, you're probably going to need some some serious expansion and some some breath energy going yep if you're gonna sing bach it might be different if you're gonna sing waitress it's definitely gonna be different than wagner well or you know something like smooth jazz you know oh well then for sure sure right like absolutely that's different from waitress and we're not here, vocal fam, to tell you exactly what you should do in any of those situations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we're here to encourage is an exploration of ideas, right? Yes, well, because different things do work for different people. I mean, you know what? Like That's the idea of the abdominal expansion might work for a student. Like it, it really might be what they need. But then, like you said, like there are a lot of students that it would just get them stuck. Exactly. So it's just, I guess, knowing your student, being willing to try different things with students. Yeah. Okay. So then that came up then at the end. And we were talking about, as you were saying, sort of your fear of that you were just throwing darts at a dartboard, maybe with a blindfold on or something. In the dark. Um, it, that's not... It's in very the dangerous. Dark. Wouldn't um, recommend. Uh, but it, when you are working with a student, a lot of the time you know especially early on in your teaching you do sort of have to do a little bit of guesswork and i think with a new student you got to just get them singing yes because you don't know what they sound like yet one of the last things i left them with when we were talking about teaching breathing today mm-hmm. i was i was like listen the biggest mistake that i ever see young teachers make in their first like time out with a trial student in class or in a lesson or whatever is they bring the student in, they talk for a minute and they give them a vocalize. It's inevitably a five, four, three, two, one lip trill. And they're on note they're They're on scale degree three and they stop them and immediately go into a diatribe about rib expansion. Yeah. 
They haven't even heard them sing Do yet. <laughs> let alone heard them sing Caro Mio Ben. Let alone the fact that they've never sung a classical piece of music before. But let me tell you what. They can rip their way through She Used to Be Mine. I was going to say, I've really liked... Um Somebody in my, I can't remember who I got this idea from. It was someone, you know, in practicum. We watched them. I really like, I've had all of my new beginning students sing a song that I just say, sing me something you really like singing right now that you find yourself singing all the time. And it's nice because sometimes it's so different from what they've been doing, you know, up until then. And it just shows me like, exactly. Okay, there's more to this than I'm seeing. It also does a great job of kind of letting me know what music they like. Because, like, I'll ask them. I have asked so many students, what are some artists you like? What are some things you like to listen to? And they go, I don't know. You don't know? You don't listen to any music. You don't want to sing anything. And then I'm saying to them, like, do you like this? Do you like this? And they're like, you know, no. You know what's interesting about that? I did, a, I did an assignment for my worship leadership newbies. Yeah. Uh, and I think Empress also did it for hers. And... Um, we assigned them some songs, you know, because they've got to sing their classical rep for juries sure. and their, you know, other things and whatever. And and then I asked them to send me YouTube links of two songs that they d- haven't really sung before, but that they'd like to learn. Okay. And I did it partially because swamped with repertoire selection. Right. Yeah. yeah. Me. 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 You. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me what but, you but, want to sing. Well, but the reason I did it really was to get a sense of like what kind of things that they were into. Yeah, it helps. And with like one gentleman, I was not surprised at all. He did send me two worship songs he wanted to sing. One was a Michael Ketterer song. I, uh, one was a Pat Barrett song. Um, I mean, so like things I wasn't surprised by. Like, yeah. like, like I expected it. This one other, one other, one of the other students surprised me incredibly because he sent me a Michael Bublé song. Amazing. And a the Josh Groban cover. I love Josh Groban. Of Wait For It. Wait For It. Hold on. Wait okay. For It. The Josh Groban cover of um, What I Did For Love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was that from his Stages album? Broadway album Stages or whatever. Stages was the name of it. I think I would have. I never would have. Well, that's also interesting because I feel like that kind of gives you an idea of like how aware they are of their own voice, like what they're. Yes. Because that that's actually really interesting. Because if they're saying these are things I want to sing, it kind of lets you know like how aware they are of what they should be singing or. Yes. Not. So it was very interesting. That is interesting. It was, uh, I like that. This is very interesting. Anyway, uh, let, let's just wrap the voc- the 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 breathing, breathing part up with, with folks. If you have breathing techniques that already work for you, and since you're a voice teacher, we're assuming that you very likely do, and they're working, keep doing them. Yeah, great, good. Is good. But also just consider that there might be other options. Yeah. That- that's all we're saying, right? Yes. That might work better for certain students. You just never know. It's worth a shot. I don't think, I truly do not think that there is one way to breathe. That is the one thing I'm willing to say. 
like nor it. do I think that there's even one way to breathe for two even unique people. Yep. There are common threads that run through for specific styles. And I would assume if you sing in a style, you already know what some of those are. I'm not here to tell you if you are a great jazz singer, what those techniques are. And I, you know, nor am I here to tell you exactly how I sing Puccini, but I know how I sing Puccini. And I'll tell you something. (laughs) Last thought about that. Being a tenor, I don't breathe much. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's all the hot air in the head, right? You don't need Ah. to. I mean, I had to like, you know, if we're going to bring up Ah. tenor things, got to make a little, just just a little jab. Just a little, 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 uh, like a little dag, just boop. Little jab. Yeah. It's like a butter knife. It's not even like a sharp knife. So, did you see the big Star Wars news yesterday? That they're like making a ton more movies after they said, no, this is the last one. Well, I think I sent you guys the you link, did. didn't I? You did indeed. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Kevin Feige's the man with the golden gun. So, Mr. MCU's going to go and make a Star Wars franchise. Oh, of course, of course, of course, of course. I mean, I I, may, I sigh, but I I love Star Wars. Never mad about a Star Wars movie, movie but... Just like I was worried the first time they announced, like, oh, we're going to make, like, nine more Star Wars movies. And I was like, guys, like, maybe you take a break. I'm worried again that there's going to be seven new Star Wars movies. Because, like... I know. It it just seems like a dangerous path to trod. Remember what we called it before all the Last Jedi debacles. Hashtag Disney Forever franchise. That's what they're doing again. Speaking of Disney, did you see the Frozen 2 trailer? I watched it this it morning. Looks yes, really I good. did. Uh, I'm intrigued how it relates to the first move, the first trailer. They're training to fight something to escape. <gasps> Maybe that's well, it. Maybe they realize they're trying, like, you know, when Elsa's like trying to get through the waves. Like, maybe they're realizing, like, they're kind of being trapped. Just like, you know, they, I don't know. They're trying to fight something. That's all I can guess. That's my guess. Made of stone. I don't know. It has occurred to me with this introduction of magic. Did it look at all to you like they might be trying to tie universes together on purpose? I 100% think that's a thing. Because I I think they're, they're wanting to be like, oh, yeah, their parents became Tarzan's parents. Oh. But the wisps... Didn't oh, it look I didn't like even a wisp think about that. From Brave? That could be possible. I mean... I just feel like they're trying to use the incredible cartoon popularity of Frozen to maybe bring some of those Disney threads together. You know, we've heard the rumor that... Uh, obviously, there's the theory that... Their parents, the king and the queen, were on their way to Ariel and Eric's wedding. Cool, yeah. When they're shipwrecked, Remember and that? then they become Tarzan's parents. Voila. Yeah. I'm not sure they'll do that, because that's, that's pretty far even for Disney, in my opinion. But I could be wrong. I also didn't think we were getting seven more Star Wars movies. I keep saying seven. I saw that like on an article on the internet that I didn't read, so I should probably stop quoting that like it's a fact. 
I'm not sure. Yeah, but we've been talking about breathing the whole episode. So, I mean, if if misquoting the number of Star Wars movies is the worst thing we've done today, then I think we're pretty good. I remembered the vocal folds. That's all I needed to do tonight. Like, that's what I was here for, right? Thursday nights are hard. You did good. Yeah, you I did good. The that, one was, thing. Uh, that was my job. That was that was good. That was good. Um, no, but I mean, yeah, we we'll, we'll see. I mean, the kids. I asked Charlie. I asked Charlie the other night. I was like, "So, are you more excited about Star Wars or Frozen 2? I mean, and I think he didn't want to answer because he knew he was going to disappoint me. But he was like, "I think Frozen. Frozen 2, 2 does look pretty epic. I I gotta give it, him that. I mean, it, and." It'll be a great score. Yes. I do love the music. Like, a it'll, lot. It'll be a great score. Granted, so should Star Wars. So, are Star Wars well, and Frozen I mean, more alike than we realized? Maybe they're the same universe. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but maybe. What a time to be what alive. A time to, what if this is like the precursor? Frozen is secretly the pre. Oh, no, it's Thursday night. Sarah needs to stop. Sarah should just stop. No! <laughs> My brain, it's just like, it's it's function. It's limping along. That's what it's doing. Like, I'm limping to the so finish line this week. So, they, they're actually not using magic. They're using the force. Yep. Is that what you're telling me? Yep. <laughs> that is obviously what's happening here. It's the only <laughs> obvious explanation. Oh my Ice goodness! Ice becomes gracious. lightsaber. I don't know. I'm just nah, now we've we've lost it. No. Nah. Look, I lost it a while back. The fact that you're still talking to me, the fact that anybody's still listening at this point, kudos to you. Shows your dedication. Hey, you know what we should mention? The fact that we've had ten thousand downloads. Yeah, we hit it. We brought it up, sort of like saying it was gonna happen. We did say it was gonna happen, week. but it happened. It did happen, and thank you, Vocal Fam, for making it happen. Uh, also, we've officially put a sticker yeah. on the merch store. So uh, put it on your laptop. Go go, put it on your go get your water bottles. Bumper. Your Yeti. Uh, it's hydro flask now. Have you not? Have you not oh, seen all that stuff about the Visco girls? You've now lost me. Whoa. Okay. When we're done, you need to go Google Visco girl because that is such a thing. And like, maybe I'm just witnessing it because again, I work with a lot of middle and high school girls, but what a movement. So they're all hydro flash sounds scrunchies and they go and I oop. Those are their two. Fr- I'm not even kidding you. I am now horrified. Please go Google it. It's fantastic. It is the most. Um, it. So essentially it's girl. It's funny because we talked about this a few weeks ago in a sense. There are girls that are basic. They embrace it. And they're like, yeah, what about it? This is my aesthetic. Pumpkin spice lattes, scrunchies, hydro flasks. And then they go. I don't know. I, it's a whole thing. It's a it's a movement. Can I just say that hydro flask yep. sounds a lot like hydro flax? I don't know what to tell who's you. Who's that? He's that. Who's that big robot in the Husbands of River Song? Oh my gosh, King Hydroflax. Because at first, when you said it, I thought it was a Doctor Who reference, no. and I was like, it "Huh?" It's a very odd. It, I shouldn't say odd. They're a very kind movement. 
But a movement. Did you see? Are. Speaking of Doctor Who, did you see that Stephen Fry is going to be in the first episode? No. British comedian Stephen Fry. I know. Fry I missed Stephen Fry, the... but I didn't see that he was going to be in it. That's awesome. Yeah. Guest star. I think in the in the first episode this season. Delightful. I think most people. I think are just excited about the return of the Jadoon. I do like the Jadoon. I feel like we don't see them enough. And I'm hopeful for um, some plots. Yeah. That's all. Just just yeah, a plot. Plots. Pretty uh, basic. What did Sarah have for breakfast? Quote Michael Ham, trademark <laughs> 2019. A muffin. <laughs> Shocking. I know. I'm going to have a muffin for breakfast tomorrow, too. <laughs> uh, that sounds right. Because I like muffins. Um, I'm going to have a muffin the next that's, day. Uh, who? That that all sounds right. Well, uh, I actually have a takeaway for tonight. If you, if you'll oblige me, I'm ready for if it? If that's okay. Um, one of the things that I think about a lot uh, is as we did hit ten thousand downloads this week, yes, and we're scheduled to hit episode one hundred. Hopefully, Vocal Fry Christmas will be episode one hundred. What an episode it will be! Hopefully. Um, we'll see. We'll see who we can scrounge up for episode 100. A reunion. Hashtag vocal fry 100. Uh, but when I think about these episodes, uh, I often think, um, about my kids and, uh, the fact that someday, uh, when I'm gone, my kids will still have these, uh, to listen back and hear what their crazy idiot father was into <laughs> uh, in 2000 and whenever. Um, and, you know, particularly, and I'm bringing this up today because my son uh, is going to turn 10 years old. How crazy is that? When I realized, and oh, break my heart. And he is... Uh, one, one, he, yeah, most of my collegiate voice students, aside, aside from my musical theater grads from New World, uh, will remember Charlie having, you know, been born and, you know, all that kind of thing because it was early on in my tenure at WVU. And uh, just thinking about the fact that he's a decade old Friday Double is digit. just really quite uh, remarkable. And I hope that someday, 30 years from now, he's listening to this, playing this for his kids. Uh, hopefully, I'm still around. Yeah, I, I hope 30 years from now you're still around. Like, that's not uh, that long. <laughs> no. No. It, it is, in fact, Yikes. Not. Um, but uh, my takeaway is, uh, you know, we're doing this. Yes, we're doing this for you, Vocal Fam, but... There's a little bit of this that's just uh, for the old... Uh, it's like a little diary, a journal, a yeah. time capsule. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's uh, what it is. It is interesting. Thing. Like, in a sense, you know, we talk about pedagogy that's current now, but you talk about how your dissertation already feels like historical. Who yeah. knows? Two years from now, we might be like, ha, ha, ha. Remember when we talked about... Fill in the blank of what seemed so cutting edge when we talked about it. Is this the is th are we the Disney Forever podcast? Maybe. maybe. Maybe we'll be when Frozen 15 comes out. Maybe we'll be in it. 
We'll see how you feel if you have a child. Let me tell you that someday. That could be, uh, we'll see. Yeah, that, that seems a, a bit a ways, I, I but say anyway, now. Maybe um, Ario will listen one, to this podcast someday. One other thing, if you're still... <laughs> <laughs> one other thing, if you're still listening, just to wrap it up. Uh, if you uh, happen to have uh, Wednesday afternoon free, Vocal Fam, um, I am going to live stream my recital oh. uh, on Wednesday on the Vocal Fry feed, if that's okay with you, Sarah. Yes. I, I oh, my gosh. Can... No, I'm pumped because that means I can watch it. 4 o'clock Eastern time, 3 o'clock Central. Okay. Uh, I will be singing. It's a short program. It's an afternoon recital. Tamino's our first our entrance aria. Die Spiltnis ist bezaubernd schön. Solid. From Die Zauberflöte. Let's see. And then the, the sort of the, the feature of the, of the afternoon is Finzi's um, collection of songs. It's not a song cycle in the strict sense at all. It was as it was published posthumously. But Finzi's collection, Till Earth Outwears. Um, some of my favorite Finzi songs in there. And I'm doing that as sort of preparation for trying to get ready to do Young Man in a couple of years. Yeah. But um, so Finzi's Till Earth Outwears. And then uh, doing doing um, Pace Non Trovo of Tre Sonetti di Petrarca by Franz Liszt. And then uh, I'll wrap it up with a couple of musical theater selections. We're going to do Made of Stone from Hunchback and uh, and then end with a little uh, sing-along. A sing- um, Are you going to sing Hamilton? Yes, I knew it! Of course. It had of course. to be. Especially a sing-along. Um, a sing-along. The, the uh, one song everybody will know because everybody knows it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it'll be a sing-along. Wow. Anyway, Charlie, you want to say hi? vocal fam hello again it's me again <laughs> that's that's my kids everybody <laughs> all right sarah you want to kill this recording yeah. peace out vocal fam bye